is Steve Bauscher, host of uh, Mission Investing at the Intersection of National Security, and welcome to our next episode here with our guest today, Mike Applebaum. Mike, thanks for coming uh, down and meeting us at the intersection. We're excited to have you here. Thank you so much for the opportunity to speak. All right. So, Mike, uh, let's give the listeners uh, just a little bit of sense of your background here at the start. You know, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you as one of our first guests uh, on this podcast is you've actually been a multiple member of our Incatel portfolio, having uh, this now your second company that we've invested with you. And so just tell, tell everyone a little bit about your background. Yeah, it's uh, it's amazing. Uh, Incutel invested uh, right, right out of college, my, my first business, uh, which is uh, almost 20 years ago. And uh, it, it's been an amazing, it's, it's been an amazing experience. My, uh, my first business, we uh, had a, a DOD, we've, DOD IC focus uh, to begin with as well, really uh, in, inspired uh, by uh, the events of, of 9-11, uh, really, really crystallized uh, that, that mission focus for us, which we've really carried through into Emerson Wisdom as well. And Incutel, Invested in us uh, as a as a as a two-person company, uh, and really changed our trajectory, changed my life, and I I'm just extremely grateful. It's a uh, from from there we we built uh, Agent Logic uh, over a 10-year period, built it to about uh, 75 people, sold multi-million in revenue, sold it to a, a public software company, and uh, then based on that, I was able to seed fund uh, Immersive Wisdom. Uh, which I'm looking forward to talking about today. And that has now become an Incutel portfolio company as well. Incutel also invested in that at a, a very high risk time and again sent a, a signal to potential customers in the government. And uh, so now, you know, five, six years later, we're, we're getting some amazing traction with Immersive Wisdom uh, that really, really wouldn't have been possible with Incutel. So it's not, it's, it's not only that uh, Incutel invested in us twice, but We've been successful twice based on the the signal and uh, Incutel willing to take that that early risk. So it's a it's really a pleasure to be here. Well, great, and, and, and uh, you know one of the things that we actually measure ourselves on as an organization is you know entrepreneurs that start another company whether they come back and and, and, and want to raise money from us. And I think it's a demonstration that you know we're doing something right when guys like you and uh, and Chris from Recorded Futures and others. You know, come back and, and, and work with us again. So really excited about that. So, oh, it's it's been uh, it, it's really been uh, when we when the idea for immersive wisdom occurred, it was really looking at virtual reality headsets a long time ago. Now, when the the first uh, Oculus development kit came out, and it was really still a high risk idea, and, but we really saw it as having tremendous value for the defense world for the intelligence community and we needed that partner to get us through the the first stage and now today immersive wisdom is is growing significantly we're doing multi-million dollar contracts and that would not have happened if we hadn't been able to take those first steps and i really do think you know i know that we're going to talk about this in in our conversation in greater detail how important it is for small companies to be able to have that that ability to to get in the door because in some cases it can be very hard to to even know where to begin in the federal government. 
those are all great points I want to build on, but uh, let's just uh, uh, get a little bit more of your background here. So you started uh, Agent Logic right out of college. Did you always know you want to be an entrepreneur or, you know, how, how'd that come about? Yes. It's, so the my first technology company was actually when I was in high school okay. and I had a small internet service provider with uh, a modem bank in my house. And that really, uh, that crystallized for me the, that, that magic of, of working with customers and being able to connect people using technology. And while in those days we had to use a, a dial-up modem to, to check our email, I think that just that, that desire to, to use technology to achieve a, a communications end has really stuck with me. And that theme has sort of transcended uh, that business, Agent Logic, as well as uh, Immersive Wisdom, where you know even still today, like Immersive Wisdom, we're, we're all about being able to, we provide a, a 3D virtual ops center where people anywhere in the world can connect in and plan, chat, actually look at maps and do their business without actually having to be geographically in the same place. And it's sort of, it's very interesting as compared to my, my first company, it's really the, the, the next stage of, of connectivity only you know, 30 years later, now that we have high bandwidth and graphics cards and cloud technology, we can start to really fulfill the being able to connect people without actually having to physically be together. Yeah. yeah. One thing I don't miss because uh, I'm, I'm old here is uh, the old dollop uh, sounds that you had to make when you were connecting th through those modems. That, you know, imagine you're running an ISP back in your basement. You must have <laughs> just heard that sound day, day and night. <laughs> oh man! I, I at uh, the the difference between a, a 1200 baud and a uh, a 14.4 and a 56. Yeah. I was actually I, I was doing some googling on the internet the other day in my uh, in my spare time, and it was fun to to listen to some of the sounds and which ones I can still pick out. I don't know. If <laughs> <laughs> well, my, one of my first uh, uh, jobs uh, was working for a company that was a, a network games company back in 1994. Uh, uh, you know, we were a little early before what you know my my son spends hours you know doing today. And uh, I, you know, I had to test uh, uh, all the different modems to make sure that, you know, our service worked over them and, and, and just plugging them in and, and, and all that stuff. But anyways, uh, people don't want to hear about that. They want to hear about uh, uh, intersection of technology and national security here. So tell me, when you started Agent Logic, you, you mentioned this in, in your beginning uh, remarks, um, that you were motivated to sell something to the government to help uh, uh, them with their mission after 9-11. Talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, yeah, ab absolutely. I, I think 9-11 was a crystallizing event for, for many people in, my, I say this now, in my, in, in my generation, where we, you know, as, a, as someone, uh, you know, how we wanted to know, we, we wanted to be able to contribute to a, what we felt were very, very critical issues at the time. And I, I went to school in D.C., so obviously that was that was definitely part of the culture, really understanding uh, what was going on. And I think we we really knew that our software could make a difference at a technical level. And I think where where Incutel really helped us is really crossing that that bridge to actually connecting it to what customers would actually need. And there's actually there's a great story of, of how how we got together with Incutel. I was at a, a conference in the in the early in early 2002, 
and uh, was exhibiting with Insight software. They had given me a place to put my laptop and a little bit of room for the brochure. And uh, one of, an InQtel visionary solution architect walked up to the booth, Greg Peppis, <laughs> and picked up a brochure and said, what is this? What is this technology? I'm interested. And I said, oh, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen there. I don't think I'm going to get a call back. And a couple of weeks later, Greg called. And within a very, very short period of time after that, probably 30 days, we had like a $20,000 contract with InQtel to prototype our technology for a government customer. And then the rest is history. Uh, uh, later, later that year, InQtel invested. And, and, I, and I think like that is... That is what is so critical for that. That theme is so critical for so many small companies right now where we need the ability to very rapidly get a some funding and the ability to connect with end users and, and solve a problem. So I, I think that we had the, the spirit. We were we were mission driven and InQtel made the difference in terms of really crossing that crossing that initial that initial chasm to be able to make a difference in a, in a meaningful way for end users. Well, I think that's great. And, and, and certainly your company did that and, and we're very appreciative of it. But I think one of the points that you made that I want to emphasize is, you know, I think there's this myth out there, you know, sometimes that, you know, the great entrepreneurs here in the United States uh, 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 and great tech, technology entrepreneurs, maybe I should clarify that, you know, don't really want to work with the U.S. government. You know, uh, uh, there's this perception that, you know, that, that class of entrepreneur is uh, less interested in government, more interested in sort of consumer and commercial markets. But, you know, I, I think you're a great example of a class of entrepreneur that is more plentiful than people think, that is motivated by patriotism, motivated by the appreciation of the government for, for the mission and service and wants to help in any way that it can. You know, and I think there are a lot of people out there like you that are excited to start companies to, to solve problems for that government. And it's very, it's, it's, it's very hard. It's very, it is, we, we know there's, it is hard to work with the government, but it's so important and it, and it's so fulfilling and that's, you know, and why did we come back and do it again? Uh, because we knew what the, the we have a, a very significant vision for where we want to take this company and where, and where we know it, it applies across the DOD across the government to be able to make it so that they can work more efficiently and communicate more effectively. And we're, we're very much, we, we have a responsibility to provide people who are in harm's way with the best technology. And so that, I, I think that's something that, you know, and I know InQtel really shares those values and I, I've been able to have uh, an amazing life. Uh, while while doing that, and it's it's been it's been very fulfilling. So well, that, that's, that's great, Mike. Uh, uh, thanks for, for saying that. So I want to pick up one thing you said. You said it can be harder at times working with government. What's harder about working with the government versus commercial market? Because by the way, Agent Logic did sell, and and, and uh, Mercy Wisdom does sell to uh, commercial uh, customers as well. What's harder about the government market? What's easier? You know, how do you think about the differences between the two? Yeah, I, and and I, and I think the way I I, I was a I was thinking about this uh, in another conversation and sort of my, I recommend, I, I would, I would my, like to structure my, my thoughts on this as a, as, a, as a recommendation, which I think sort of, uh, which I think sort of will, will grow into our conversation. The, the need, we need a way to be able to fund companies at a meaningful level 
$500,000, a million dollars within 90 days, and for the ability for those companies to succeed or fail in the following 90 days. And then within the final 90 day period, we need to make be able to make a decision for operationalizing those capabilities. Yeah. And so the government has significant challenges at each of those levels. It takes, even for small companies, it can take more than a year in certain cases to get on contract. That's why Incutel is so amazing because it, we can do things fast. Incutel can do things faster and has done things faster. Did that with Immersive Wisdom, did that with Agent Logic. Funding, funding's huge. And sometimes it's it's hard to be funded for, in some, in some ways, $500,000, a million dollars is not a lot of money to the government but it is a huge amount of money to a small company with a great technology. Yeah. And, and then finally, one of, a huge problem, uh, that uh, opportunity is access to end users, yeah. where, 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 where theor companies are theorizing about how their technology could be used. And the government is one of the most complex organizations in the world that has uses for most technologies that we can imagine. But being able to actually put the technologists with the end users is is what what makes the difference. And, and, uh, and you get the feedback, right? You know, one, one of our frustrations at times is, you know, because uh, as I mentioned, we do bring have a lot of meetings where we bring great companies together with end users with problems, and we, we try to you know uh, create a match here. And you know, it's not always in the nature of the government employee in, in, in that meeting to talk, right? They they they're used to listening and, and then going back and talking amongst themselves. But it's really the lifeblood of a startup company like here's to hear what the end user has to say, what the requirements are, what problems they're, they're experiencing. And then once they start trying your technology, what their experience likes that. I mean, that's gold for you, isn't it, as a startup? Yeah. With, with, without question. And, and one of the, I think one of the things that would be extremely helpful where I think that, that we, we can help with that process and really it's about partnership. I, I think that the, the companies in the marketplace, so many want to work with the government. And I think that's that's the absolute majority across the board in, in, in the United States. And I, I think we, we know we, we know there, there are passionate CEOs that may just not know how to not know how to begin. And I think one of the one of the ways to engage that partnership are to another idea are to, to find ways to get security clearances for CEOs of small of very small companies and engage them on problem sets. And I think that that by building that level of trust at an early stage, even before investing, uh, will allow for a much greater ecosystem. If we're able to, to clear a group of 500 CEOs and meet together and like like a like the the defense science board at a at a, at a different scale that will produce significant results. And I think we'll have more, even more small companies, new ideas, new problems will be addressed because of that. And I think that, yeah, that information flow, as you describe, I think is 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 critical and, and missing in a lot of cases. That's great. Those are great ideas, great suggestions. So I'll take them back. So um, so you, you live every entrepreneur's dream. You start a company, Agent Logic, uh, you get some customers, you get some revenue, you sell it to a large uh, a public company, you, 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 make, you make some money. You know, uh, uh, and yet we all know it's not as simple as that. There's a lot of hard work, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears that, that, that went into that. Uh, why do you want to do it again? You know, uh, you turned around and almost immediately you started Immersive Wisdom, I think. What prompted you to want to do it again? I, I think that it, it, for, for me, technology is at, is at the, a, lo a love of technology. I, I, defi I definitely care. I, I care about 
a, in a, at Immersive Wisdom. I, I feel confident at this point in our ability to have a, a really positive outcome for, for our investors and, uh, and our employees. And now, now it is really, it, it is being a, a, a technology leader being able to to take a to take these capabilities and put them in the hands of an end user there's a we we had the opportunity recently uh a little bit little bit little ways ago now to to work with uh an army an army customer where we built a virtual tactical operation center for them and so what that means is in the 3d which you could access on your desktop or in vr you could see all of the screens of a physical op center on that would normally be on the walls like a, a digital twin of that environment as well as the map on the floor and i was able to have a conversation with uh the bct commander the brigade combat team commander a lieutenant colonel and he said to me he said i wish we had had this in iraq I wish we had had this in Afghanistan because I would not have had to drive places. I would not have to have get, I would not have had to put my life on the line to go back to my op center because I could get there virtually. Yeah. And when I hear things like that, that, that keeps me, that, that keeps me going because, and I, and I know that there, the, there are cases, there, there are so many cases like that still today. And as we also think about how we're we're sort of we're we're evolving, continuing to evolve, uh, and or additional focus on great power competition versus CT mission, the the way we orient our force requires technologies like this in order to be successful. And I I'm excited, I'm privileged to to be doing our small part to to make it so that we maintain the 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 abilities of the United States. And so that, that, that mission thread runs through for me always. That's, that's great. And the good news is it sounds like uh, things are starting to work. So you were recently awarded uh, a, a large IDIQ contract. You know, tell people uh, who maybe aren't familiar with this, what an IDIQ contract is, how it works and what, uh, uh, what it means to a company like yours. Sure. So the, an IDIQ contract, it stands for indefinite delivery, indefinite quantity. So it's a direct contract with the government and that contract has a ceiling value uh, at a, a high dollar value. And then the government has the ability to rapidly add task orders onto that contract for application of immersive wisdom. So what, what that has, it, what it, it makes it possible for immersive wisdom to rapidly reach new customers. So if today, if there's a new customer in DOD that wants to access and use immersive wisdom, we don't have to start the contract process again. So this process is not quick, is it? <laughs> oh, they got right. It takes, uh, yeah, it, 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 it cuts down our time from, from, Potentially a year to thirty days yeah. in terms of being able to, in, in terms of being able to to get on contract. And the kind of the the interesting the story of how we got to that contract began with Incutel. Okay. So, and ultimately we were able to Incutel was our 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 first advocate, the first the high the highest risk bet. And then subsequent to that, we we're able to win an AFWorks contract for a multi-million dollar contract. And then this is the, the, final, the final stage 
of those steps where now we have a contract to be able to operationalize our capability across the government. So it's really, we've, uh, we've had some amazing supporters uh, from, from, from obviously uh, you at Incutel, uh, Mike Graninger, uh, Cameron Conger, the, the technical director of the, the 363rd ISR wing, uh, and, so many, uh, and so many others. And it's really, it, it has, it, it, I think it always, it, it really does come down to like the, that, 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 that partnership. One of the things that I, that, that always makes me cringe is when people call us a vendor. Right. And I always think like I always think that they're calling me a vending machine when they say, "Well, I'm a vendor. What is it? What is this vent vending? What does that mean? I'm your I'm I'm your partner. I I really my my goal here is to give you capabilities to win. And we've been able to, in terms of part of that to your earlier question about what makes what makes this successful, it's finding those advocates within the government. Uh, Brian is another one that enable us to get past a lot of the the red tape which there always is and get to actual capability so that 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 partnership with the end users the people that matter that on that are on the inside and i I think that the other challenge is you know like macro is how do we incentivize them right to 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 wit how do what are the metrics on the inside that reward working with an immersive wisdom and I think and that's another that's another sort of a unknown unknown question where you know, people do it for the you know the, the right the right reasons, but there there should I believe there there should be measurable career advancement because of a government person's ability to operationalize a technology to go through that 90, 90, 90 cycle that I talked about a little earlier. These are all great ideas, and, and, and uh, I'm sure they'll be uh, very interesting and stimulating to the, to the listeners. Um, so, you know, if we take a step back and we, we think about why we're talking about all this, it's, it's really because of the thesis that I think, you know, we at Nikitil have and, and other people in the government have, which is, you know, the national security mission, if you will, for the United States is shifting from having been very counterterrorism focused really for the, you know, 10 or 15 years after 9-11 to back to a sort of nation state focus, right, where we've emerged, we are in emerging nation state competition with China and Russia and to a lesser extent. North Korea and Iran for uh, uh, military and economic uh, uh, leadership around the world. And technology is going to be a strategic lever, an important strategic lever in that competition. And the best technology in the United States comes from commercial startup companies like yourself, right? Fortune 1000 has figured that out. They don't build a lot of technology themselves. They you know, buy it from great startup companies like, like yours. So if you think about that as sort of the world we're operating in, today and will be for the next you know five or ten years and the u.s government needs to do a better job of accessing technology from companies like yours uh you know and, and others you, you've given us a bunch of uh, uh, great you know suggestions already in this conversation are there any others that you know you haven't had a chance to to address yet that you you, you want to address well yeah th- yeah it's a it's a it's a great it, it, it it's a great question I, I think that one of the the challenges because the the nation-state threat is, you know, at least from my perspective, is very amorphous relative to the the CT threat. Yeah. It 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 often creates. We may feel like we have more time than we do, yeah. and I, I think that is the the greatest the greatest challenge that we need to we need to continue to have that conversation, how to have that 
sense of urgency. The one, one other story I, I can share that I think is really relevant to this. So when we started to work with uh, Air Combat Command, uh, the 363rd ISR wing, one of the, one of the, the early engagements, we, we were able to be, we were able to sit down with end users and talk to them within a very, very short period of time. And I think that goes, that goes, that goes to that earlier point in terms of what, you know, why, why we, why we know what we know, why we've been able to, to do what we do. I think that bringing company, we have to have more mechanisms for communication between small companies and the, 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 the actual government stakeholders, not just the government acquisition arm. And I, I think that that will be, and, and I, I said this a little bit earlier, but allowing for failure, allowing for risk. If we don't allow for failure and risk, then we will be very, very slow and we will not be able to iterate. We will not be able to adapt. And I, and I think that it's also really important in the government. The government needs to, to really come to terms with what it wants to build, what it wants to buy and make the, and draw, and draw the lines because there, there are cases in the government where certain organizations believe that they can build capabilities that already exist in the commercial marketplace and they really shouldn't be building those capabilities. And I think that we have to really come to terms with that. And again, rather than letting large development contracts to create capabilities from scratch, we need to be spending our time and money uh, doing more projects with the, the larger industrial base. And I think like the, the really key point for me is a small business is not a small business when you're 500 people. That's not a small company. And it's a small company. I, to me, a small company is le you know, less than 100 people, a 50 person company that one day is going to be a business that's hundreds of people. And we need to start. We need to start there, and really at a at a meaningful level. At you know, again, the five hundred thousand, which is again still small, five hundred thousand, a million dollars on a ninety day basis, get to capability that an end user can yay or nay. And if it is good, we have an understanding about how we're going to operationalize it, and we actually have the stakeholders in the government that are able to carry it through. And that that is. That is going to be a critical component uh, of how we of how we win. And if we don't do that, we're not going to have access to the best technologies. We'll continue to have uh, this this uh, this issue of companies that don't believe they can work with the government. And the more we do that, the more we need to get beyond it, it, there. We need to get beyond where we are today. And I believe we can. And I, and I absolutely believe we can do it. And we've you know we we are as a government as a country. We we know how to we know how to do this right. We know how to win, and uh, we we just need the will. That's great. That's great. So uh, I'll wrap up with one last question here. Um, and, you know, you're certainly a leader uh, uh, in the AR VR world. You know, talk a little bit about that technology trend. What's happening there? How that impacts national security? You know, and uh, uh, where are we going? You know, uh, uh, in AR VR uh, uh, as it relates to national security. Yeah, it's 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 a it is it is absolutely uh, it's been an, an amazing ride so far, and I'm I'm excited as a I'm excited I'm so excited for the next five years where I I as compared to five years ago where 
the hardware, the, the both on the augmented and virtual reality side, the hardware is getting smaller and lighter. There are rumors that Apple is even working on a device. We're also, we're, we're really excited about that where hardware just is a, it, the hardware is just a thing and it makes it so that the applications that run on that device that now work in 3D really don't have to worry about hardware. Yeah. And I think w when we began, we really were, we're not just, we weren't just evaluated on our ability to do remote collaboration. We're also evaluated on the virtual reality headset or the augmented reality headset as well. And I think that's changing, which is amazing. And kind of one, one company that NVIDIA is doing uh, amazing work uh, in the cloud, being able to do GPU based rendering of three dimensional content, which will make it so that we can have much more lightweight devices at the edge streamed over high bandwidth connections where we're available, but it makes it so that the technology will become so much more accessible. Yeah. And when the technology is so much more accessible, that means, you know, in our world, the, the, that, that BCT commander or CEO of a company can, uh, on, the, on their iPad or on their, on their glasses or virtual reality headset can step into that op center wherever they are at the, at the click of a button. So really, really exciting times. And we're finally, these technologies have been in our, in our dreams for a very, very long time. And we're, we're now to the point where they, they are, they are going, they are entering, they're, they're entering serious use. Okay. That's great. Well, listen, Mike, thank you so much for the time here. Uh, thanks for joining us here at the intersection. We really appreciate it. And we're, uh, we're excited to continue to work with you and who knows, maybe you got a third one in you at some point. Absolutely. <laughs> right. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Mike.